1: Let's find the Acts of the Apostles. Would you do that? It's a real long book in the Bible right after the book of John, and it's an important one to go to if we're looking at New Testament Christianity. I too was thrilled with the gathering this morning. It was a different kind than the one we're having tonight. I got a chance to stand up and speak something about history, about the Great Awakening in America, and how the Baptists were involved and affected, including over here in this part of Wisconsin. So uh, it was very good, and we were learning Bible this morning. That was the most important thing. And uh, the Christian leaders of our state, and they were here, 20 of them, pastors, were Helped and persuaded. I had a lot of talks, long ones, some of them, afterwards when we had the meal downstairs, uh, where I found the way the thinking of those who were here were being affected. And friends, I'm going to tell you, a great revival where the God moves through his people to reach those around them begins with the way you think. Amen. The main reason churches don't have revival is because the people are thinking wrong. Because their pastors are thinking wrong. And a change in the way we think leads us to revival or leads us at least closer to revival. So I thought it was a very important gathering this morning. And I was blessed by it. And I was glad that Riverview hosted it. That was a really good thing. Now we're coming back tomorrow night for another revival meeting. You be back here. The Lord is working like pastors said. Now I'm going to suggest that we all... Put ourselves at God's disposal tomorrow. Now, back there in the track rack, we have a very useful little gospel article here called Are You 100% Sure You Will Go to Heaven? It's a pretty good one. It's little, not intimidating, and you can just give it out. Did you know that's not against the law? Did you know you might be surprised if you put yourself at God's disposal to whom you might give one of these tomorrow? Would you read this? Now, gospel tracts are useful in many different ways, okay? Uh, One of the things I look for is the cover. Now, that's not much of a cover, but the question's intriguing. Are you 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven? I know a fellow down there nearer Milwaukee who has written a tract that I had some with me. I don't know if I do now. And on the front of it, it says this, I can show you how to go to heaven parenthesis, you don't have to go to hell. The front of it's helpful. You give that out. Now, I want you to read this. I could show you how to go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell. Did you know most people, it never dawned on them that they could go to hell? That additional remark opens up conversations. I love those tracks. I love this track. Another one, it's short. Now, this kind of track basically is Bible verses with statements. Now, these are useful to actually witness to them if you don't have a Bible on you. I don't know if you carry your Bible to Walmart or not, but you probably don't. But where you can actually say, Could I take a minute and show you from the Bible the way to salvation? And you can do that right with this. And it's really, I like these. So let's take a bunch of them, put ourselves at God's disposal, and say, Lord, uh, show me somebody I could give one of these to. And you might be surprised the things that happen tomorrow if we all do that. The other way to put yourself at God's disposal while you turn to Acts chapter one, first chapter, put myself at God's disposal to help Christians who need help, who need revival. These meetings are about the revival of the saints leading to the salvation of sinners. So we want to gather saints. Now tomorrow night, My subject is going to be an issue that is on everybody's mind, but you seldom hear a sermon on. I mean, everybody. I'm not talking about all the Christians. It's not an issue that you would call a church issue, but it's an issue of right and wrong that's all around us. People subtly deal with it all the time. I'll deal with it from the pulpit tomorrow night. And so what we talk about will be for people who know Christ and people who don't. And it'll open a door for you and I to introduce your friend to Jesus Christ. So tell them what I said. You know, I tell people, I'm Rick Flanders. I'm a traveling preacher. And lately I've been saying, like at the door, I'm Rick Flanders. And I'm a traveling preacher. But I'm not a crook. That's what I'll say. <laughs> and tell me, uh, tell me tell you what I do. I go around the country and uh, pretty well every day of my life, I hold a public meeting to help people. That's what I call them. Because if you talk about revival meetings, people have no idea what you're talking about or they have the wrong idea, you know, like people are passing out in the pews or something like that. So it's our screaming. Okay. So I say these are public meetings to help people. I'll take up a question, a problem, an issue that people have and try to give an answer from the Bible. Then if I've been there a few days and this is true, I'll say, and people are getting help over there at Riverview and I'd like you to come. And uh, then I may ask them, are you a person who reads the Bible and stuff like that? So uh, now you and I can be at God's disposal to help Christians be here. Uh, Outside of Indianapolis, we were having a revival campaign just like this one. And uh, this is what happened. I was in the lobby talking to some men and one of them said, guess what happened last night? Uh, A friend of mine who's a backslider. How many of you folks know a backslider? OK, he's a backslider. He hadn't been in church in forever. I saw him and I said, we're having meetings up at the church. I think you may like them. So come on out. And you know what the guy did? I was here last night looking out the uh, glass doors and I saw him pull in, in his pickup truck. I said, well, praise the Lord. I invited him. He's here. That's good. And I talked to somebody else I was looking out there and he parked the truck, but he was still in it. And I talked to somebody else. Then I saw him back up and leave. So he called him up tomorrow. Did you know a phone call can make a difference? I saw you come into the parking lot of the church last night, and then you left. What happened? I was so disappointed. The man said, you know, I've gotten so far away from God. I made it all the way to the church, but I couldn't bring myself to come in. I wanted to, but I was somehow afraid to come in, so I had to leave. He said, don't do that. I think this sermon was probably for you. Would you come tomorrow night? Well, while he was telling me about this, here comes that guy in his pickup truck. And uh, parks it in, comes in. First night, he didn't make it. Second night, he was there. He came, sat there through the sermon. It was the right one because God is leading us about the sermons. And the man decided to make a decision for Christ that changed his life. And he came for the rest of the week. And he came for weeks and weeks and a long time afterwards. A backslider no more. Because his friend made a phone call. You know, Spirit of God is talking to us all the time. Quench not the Spirit. And so you get thinking, what about her? What about that family? That might be God telling you to give them a call. It won't hurt, you know, and it might do a lot of good. So let's put ourselves at God's disposal tomorrow. Will you do that? I will do that. I'll put myself at God's disposal and let God lead me and use me as a soul winner and as someone that can help the saints have revival how many of you would say in these just couple of days we've been here I think I personally have had a measure of revival I turned the corner about an issue and God helped me and lifted me up in the last couple of days raise your hand if that would be you and we're doing that to praise the Lord God is good and he's speaking to us without a doubt if you had any idea on my end how God has been leading about the sermons and helping me while I was here you would know how God, much God loves us and how much he's interested in lifting us up chapter one of Acts okay if you got it open if you don't have a Bible I hope you'll sit close to somebody who does the former treatise that means I wrote you something else the other item that I wrote, the former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Another book in the Bible is addressed to this man, Theophilus. Do any of you know what book that is? What book is addressed to Theophilus? Book of Luke. Luke, the physician, a traveling companion with Paul the apostle, wrote Luke and Acts. They're volume one and volume two. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, both to do and teach. Now, if you read the book of Luke, Jesus is born, he ministers, he gives himself a sacrifice, dies on the cross, rises again on the third day, then alive, he speaks to his apostles, gives them assurance, so many wonderful things, goes back to heaven. It sounds like the end of the story. But the writer says in volume two, last book I told you, what Jesus began to do. Now the story continues. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining. To the kingdom of God. Now, if you read the last chapter of the book of Luke, you'll see what it means that he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. He wanted there to be people left behind who are positive that he rose from the dead, without any doubt. And if you read in Luke, more detail than Matthew and Mark and John, it says, he rose from the dead, he uh, comes into the room, it's Jesus. Then he says, Do you have anything to eat? Which makes you wonder, when you rise from the dead, are you hungry? <laughs> he was doing it for a reason. The Bible says a honeycomb and fish. He ate the fish. He ate part of the honeycomb. Then he vanished. When he rose from the dead, he did have a body, but it's a body like I'm going to have someday. Man. Capable of vanishing. <laughs> okay. He vanished. And what did they have left? Evidence. A honeycomb. With teeth marks in it and fish bones. It wasn't some kind of a vision. It was a man with a body. There's the evidence. In so many ways, it touched my wounds. It's me. Proved and showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. There have been people through history who really did an honest investigation of Christianity. Not very many. Many folks, some people who say, I don't believe in the Bible. They've never investigated it. But there have been some. a guy named Lou Wallace, Union General of the Civil War. He was coming home on the train after the war was over. He and another man, I just recently heard who the other man was, who was a famous uh, infidel and agnostic. I'm not sure if that's who it was. I've never heard that before, but he was a famous one that I won't mention because maybe it's wrong. But Lou Wallace, this is true. They made an agreement. We're going to debunk and destroy Christianity now that this war is over. And uh, you write a book about the Old Testament and prove that the Old Testament is not historically accurate. And I'll take the New Testament. I'll prove that the New Testament is not historically accurate. Okay, there's our agreement. We'll write books. Those two books will debunk the Bible. So, Lou Wallace starts investigating. A good place to investigate the New Testament is Luke and Acts. Look at them. They are full of historic facts, dates, places, names. If you can debunk a book, it would be them. So, he dug into it and looked for proof. And you know what he discovered? Luke and Acts are amazingly accurate. To the T, archaeology proves it. Then he looked into the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, which is the issue. If Jesus rose from the dead, everything else is proven. The Bible's proven, Christianity's proven, the existence of God is proven. And you know what? He did, and then a guy named Lee Strobel who is an investigative reporter in the Chicago Tribune, he had the same search, also went to Luke and Acts. They discovered the same thing. It's proven. He's risen from the dead. And Lou Wallace became a Christian, and instead of writing that anti-Christian book, he wrote a novel called Ben-Hur, which was made into a movie. That's how Ben-Hur was written. Oh, man. Many infallible proofs. And he was seen of them for 40 days, speaking to them of the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, the 12 apostles, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. And Luke 11, Jesus promised them the Holy Ghost in answer to prayer. For John, John the Baptist, truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, whatever that means. They knew what baptized means. It's a Greek word that means to dip, not sprinkle like I used to see babies christened, all the way under. And you will be immersed in the Holy Ghost. And they must have thought, oh, I wonder what that means. Not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They've been talking about the kingdom of God. Is it the time for the kingdom to be restored to Israel? He said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. And when they ha- he had spoken these things, he's on the Mount of Olives, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand, ye, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now, God had a plan to deal with human misery, to solve the world's problems, All the problems, not just war, famine, disease, and poverty, but individual problems, relationship problems, marriage problems, all of our problems. Don't think that God's on a planet somewhere standing coldly aloof while the world suffers as it does, not just somewhere, but right in Green Bay, there's so much suffering. And in a little town like Seymour, the birthplace of the hamburger, (laughs) this little place, there's probably somebody within a mile of where I'm standing and you're sitting, thinking about taking his life. A lot of people are despairing, but God doesn't stand aloof. God did something about it. Did you know that? And God is doing something about it right now. Turn back to Luke. Remember, volume one is Luke. Luke chapter 24. You've got to help me on this a little bit. And I'll get talking later where you don't have to do or turn as many pages. But now the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24. He is risen from the dead. He showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Now he's talking to them about what has happened and about the role we will have and the world's problems being solved, huh. verse 46. And he said unto them, thus it is written, he referred to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now I could show you places in the Old Testament scriptures that say that the Messiah is going to suffer. Psalm 22, written a 1,000 B.C., tells us that he would suffer with his hands and his feet pierced and it's so many details, his suffering. Isaiah 53 tells us why he suffered. He would suffer for the sins of his people. Okay. Now, and it says he would rise again from the third day. Psalm 16 says he would rise again. Psalm 22 says that the one who suffered and died would be alive again and fellowshipping with his brethren. And Isaiah 53 says, after he has given his life as an offering for sin, that he will be alive again. He'll extend his days, rise from the dead. It used to make me wonder, rise from the dead the third day. Where does it say the third day? Then I open my eyes. I read my Bible, try to read it through every year. And you know what? In the Old Testament scriptures, everything happens on the third day. (laughs) And I'm not going to remember what they were all the time. But this happens, and then they waited, and on the third day, this happened. And then this, blah, blah, blah. And then this happened on the third day, all the way through. And through that, God is telling his people who are willing to know that something's going to happen on the third day. Now, keep reading. This is what God has done to solve the problems of the world. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, now watch. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ was sent to the world to rescue us from sin's consequences, from sin itself, its bondage. And from its penalty, if we got justice, we wouldn't go to hell. Justice would mean that we're condemned. It is said we're condemned already. Okay. But he came to rescue us from sin's power and uh, from sin's presence and from sin's penalty. He really did. Now watch this. But you know what? If somebody never heard that. If they live in Mugamugaland, never saw a Bible, never heard of Jesus. For that man tonight, it's as if God never loved him, and Jesus never came, and he never died for them, and God never promised to save those who would believe in him. If you never heard it, it's as if it never happened. Meaning, if our part, Repentance and remission of sins must be preached in his name through all nations. If our part isn't done, it's as if Jesus didn't do his part. No Calvary. No saving blood. No empty tomb. No promise of salvation if I don't do my part. Because people have to hear. Repentance and remission of sins. Repentance is what a sinner does. Remission of sins is what God does. When you repent, he remits your sins. Your sins are canceled. And you know what? You're on your way to heaven. But let's keep reading here. And ye are witnesses of these things. See, we have a role in this. Then it says, and behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power From on high. In Acts 1, 8, which we just read, he said, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, which means he sent the Holy Ghost to live inside believers, so that what we witness, our testimony for Christ will have an effect. You know, sometimes I've tried to talk to people about the Lord. It was like talking to the wall I've explained the way of salvation to people in such a way that when I was done, I didn't even understand it. But it's different when the Holy Ghost is helping us. So he gave us the Holy Ghost so we could fulfill this great commission. Now we're back at Acts 1. I don't want to make you work so hard, but I do want you to see this one word. So he gives them this commission. And he goes back to heaven, and they're standing there gazing up into heaven, and two angels stand there, and uh, they say, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? Jesus is going to come back. And matter of fact, when he comes to earth as king, he, uh, his feet will land at the Mount of Olives, right where he went up. Okay? And after they learned this, after they were told, you've got work to do, okay, it says in verse 12, then... Then they returned to Jerusalem, entered into a prayer meeting until they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and the plan could be fulfilled. So these Christians, 120 of them left, men, women, and kids. On the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Ghost so that God could give their testimony power, and then they went out into the city of Jerusalem on the festival day and began witnessing. Simon Peter got up and he explained to everyone, the one that was killed at Passover has risen from the dead. He's the savior of the world and uh, you need him. You won't go to heaven without him. He's both Lord and Christ. Then somebody in the crowd cries out, men and brethren, what shall we do? He says, repent. And 3,000 of them repent and accept Jesus and are baptized and join that church who had a membership of 120. Now, after that day, it's 3,120. That's what you call church growth. No, unfortunately, the church today tried to grow in the same way that businesses grow. We've got it all mapped out and figured out and all that kind of thing. You know what? The Bible way was they just obeyed and trusted the Holy Ghost to give the power. And it was a miraculous, powerful Attack on the pagan society that ruled the world So that by chapter 17 brace yourself, it was said by the pagans. They have turned the world upside down and they had That wasn't their goal. They didn't want to change society They wanted to tell individual people that God loves them and that Jesus could make all the difference and they did, and yet that evangelizing the power of the Holy Ghost had such an effect on society that pagan Roman culture that used to be called Western society became Christian culture. That's the historical name, Christian culture. And Europe especially was affected by the spread of the gospel. They turned the world upside down. Now, here's what God did to rescue us from the consequences of all the sins we've done, and the bondage, and the penalty. Here's what he did. There was the cross, where at three o'clock in the afternoon, he said, it is finished. And there he defeated sin. There's the tomb. It's empty. There he had the victory over death which I read in the book of Job, is called the king of terrors. You know, the king of terrors, the worst terrorist is death itself. Think about this. That's why they have peace negotiations. Remember during the Cold War, everybody was worried about the atomic bomb. And they had all these meetings, and we focused on them. You know why? Because the king of terrors is death. Everybody's afraid of death. See, that's why discoveries in the medical field. To cure cancer. Why are we so anxious that deadly diseases be, dis- be uh, cured? Here's why. The king of terrors, the scariest thing of all, is to die. And yet death came upon mankind because of our sins. But Jesus won the victory over sin and death. And then the Bible says, it took me years to see this. When he ascended back into heaven, <whistles> up in the sky at the right hand of the Father, It says in Ephesians, he's far above the principalities and powers. You know what that means? He won the victory over the devil. Did you know you and I, through Christ, have authority over the devil? We really do. Power over the devil, over sin, and over death. That's what Jesus Christ did. God doesn't stand aloof when it comes to the sins of mankind. He did something about it. He sent his son to the earth to rescue us. Anyone who will trust in him will be rescued. You might say, well, you mean I'll go to heaven? No, I'm talking about your marriage problems, your depression. I'm talking about your conflicts with other people. I'm talking about your misbehavior. I'm talking about your lousy character. Jesus Christ can rescue you from all of them. The Bible says he's not just our Savior, he's our emancipator. If the Son will make you free, you shall be free indeed. And there are people in this room who know that to be absolutely true. He is the answer. The answer isn't a thing, it's a person. Yeah. But now watch. He told the people who had been saved to spread this word to the whole world, all nations. But He didn't leave it to us, He gave us the Holy Ghost who is god the third person of the trinity doesn't just go with us he lives in us so that we can open our mouth and our words can have effect you know the devil says don't try talking to her she'll just get mad at you you're not a very persuasive person you didn't even get a good grade in public speaking at public school you can't talk to people you're so shy why don't you just tell the devil to shut his mouth and leave you alone get thee behind. Because you know what? It's not you. It's the one inside you. You're thinking about somebody because God loves them. So you know what? We're going to go talk to him. We're going to give it a try. It's not going to hurt. Could I tell you about my best friend? Jesus. The Holy Spirit's going to help us know what to say. He's going to put power in our words. He's going to give us courage. In the book of Acts, where they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says he gave them gifts, abilities above the natural. He gave them power for their witness. He gave them boldness, the courage to open your mouth. Most of us don't talk to people about Jesus because we're chicken. But so what they did, Acts 4, they prayed for boldness. God filled them with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost also gave them wisdom. In faith, in guidance, the deacon Philip was told by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit said, join yourself to that man's chariot, and kind of an unusual idea. He's on the side of a road way out in the desert, and a rich man is riding in a chariot with a whole parade of people, and the Holy Spirit says, join yourself to the chariot. <laughs> so with the Holy Spirit speaking to him, instantly the Holy Spirit speaks to a Christian all the time not a voice. But God speaks to you just as sure as I'm talking to you all day long. Okay, now watch. And he says, join yourself to the chariot. So here goes Philip, runs after the chariot, jumps on the, you know, the uh, side of the chariot, and of course startles the man inside who's reading a copy of the book of Isaiah. And he just says, do you understand what you're reading? My pastor always points out this. The Holy Spirit told him to jump on the chariot, but the Holy Spirit didn't tell him to witness. Why did the man say, do you understand what you're reading? And why did he preach unto him, Jesus? Because Philip was in the habit of doing that. That was part of his life. So the Holy Spirit gives guidance and courage and wisdom And I think sometimes the very words to say so that we can't fail. Did you ever read about the Jews who were given a commission to conquer Canaan land? They weren't soldiers. They were slaves. They had a leader, Joshua. Okay. And they were going to conquer Canaan land by miracles. It wasn't going to be natural. It was going to be supernatural. And friends, that's how we're going to conquer the world. It's not going to be something we're able to do. It's something that God will enable us to do. Wow. And you know what? It's a great plan when they can all hear. We're talking about all nations, every creature, the uttermost part. With the Holy Ghost, it's actually doable. And it was done in the first century. They turned the world upside down. But what about our generation? And missions conference, we moan and groan about how we're failing. Now, we don't use the word fail, but have you ever heard anybody say the number of missionaries coming off the field because they're retired and old and decrepit or die on the field or they're discouraged and quit doesn't match up with the number of young people volunteering to be missionaries. And the number goes down, down, down. Down, I don't know what we're thinking. Do we think that we're going to get enough missionaries by telling sob stories? That a guy's going to give his life to be a missionary because he feels sorry for us. I don't know what we're thinking. But it's a pretty sad situation to get up there and say, you know what, we're failing and failing and failing and failing.
0: Can't you do anything
1: about it? You know what? A young person in the congregation could say, who do you work for? God." Why did God mess this up? Why did God give you something to do we can't do? Doesn't he know that there are more missionaries dying than young people volunteering? What's he doing? But you know what? It isn't God's fault. It's ours. Our generation and many generations between ours and the apostles messed up. And you know what? Right here at the beginning, we see why. Why? So I'm going to give another encouraging sermon. This one's called, Why We Messed Up, or How We Mess Up. Dear Lord, help us to see the truth, and Lord, I pray that you would make us the answer to the people's needs, to the world's needs, that you intend for us to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. Now, Lord, help us to be working with you as a part of the solution to the world's problems, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to tell somebody who came tonight that this whole talk between a preacher and Christian people is about you. If you're not yet a Christian, we're really talking about you. We're talking about God wanting us to have a talk with you. See? And you know what? Uh, Some of you have already had somebody talk to you. Now I'm explaining to you why they're overzealous and (laughs) pushy. Yeah, because this is important. Most important thing for you. So they might want to take you aside and read you a little something. I've never had Anybody approach me about my soul? Yeah, there was a wicked man in England who years ago was witnessed to by a preacher. And he said, do you believe that? The preacher said, yeah, about God's love and about our awful predicament because of our sins. He said, do you believe that? The preacher said, Yes, I believe that. He said, if I believe that, this is this wicked man. If I believe that, I would walk in bare feet over a glass across England telling everybody I could every day of my life. He said, you don't believe it. I'm also explaining to you why it is that Christians aren't doing it. Even though everything hangs on it. Everything does. So, <clears throat> how we mess up. Number one. Because we mess up by going without knowing. Okay. Now, they had been told that it was going to be their job to take the gospel to the whole world. But before they did that, they had a Bible conference. Jesus Christ was with them 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the theme of the whole Bible. What on earth is the kingdom of God? Here's what it is. It's the concept of God ruling his creation through a man. He made many creatures in six days. The final one was man made in his own image. God told Adam, take dominion over my creation. That's the kingdom of God. God ruling the world through a man. Now, that man, instead of ruling the world for God, defied God, and mankind became a fallen race. You know that sad story. But the kingdom of God is still in the story. The Bible says, uh, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Remember that story? Then the end of that psalm says this, Do you know who the king of glory is? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. You know what that means, Psalm 24? That means that the man who rules the world for God is going to be God as a man. His name is Jesus Christ. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He will rule the world. He will save people from their sins, but then he will be the king, the kingdom of God. Check your Bible. Did you know that the Bible says that when David ruled in Israel, that the house of David represented the kingdom of God in First Chronicles, the Bible says that his throne was the throne of God and that the kingdom of Judah was the kingdom of God. The last chapter of 1 Chronicles says that when Solomon, his son, sat on the throne, it was the throne of God. In Jerusalem, the throne of God, because the kingdom of God was represented there in the kingdom of Judah, ruled over by sons of David. Quite an amazing story. When John the Baptist and Jesus came, they preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is right here. You know why the kingdom of God was here? The king was here. There he was. And it is an interesting discussion. And it also goes down to the second coming of Christ, where he'll set up an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of Christ, he will rule the world for a thousand years. Then you know what the Bible says? Check this out. After the thousand years, when he subdues everything, God will destroy the last enemy, which is death. And now a new kingdom will begin, and it is called the kingdom of the Father. The Son will turn the kingdom over to his Father. And that'll be the way it is forever. So now, 40 days, he's teaching them. You've got to know something. You men have an important role in the plan of redemption and in the history of the world. I don't think he had charts, (laughs) but here's the kingdom of God. Here's the way it works. Here's your part. And right now, we're in a kingdom of God that would be called a mystery. Matter of fact, Jesus called it the mystery of the kingdom. Did you know the Bible says that right now, the king rules in the midst of his enemies? You know how that is? Right now, the kingdom of God is not visible with Jesus on the throne in Jerusalem, and he's ruler over the world. Right now, he rules over people who believe in him. And yet the world is still ruled by his enemies. He rules in the midst of his enemies. Did you know what that means? Jesus is my king. I bow before him every day. I fulfill his commandments. I'm a subject of the king, the kingdom of God. So he's teaching them all this because they needed to know. They needed to know. Now, you know how we messed up? Some of us were going out there trying to witness to people without knowing. Clueless. Clueless about the truth of God. Did you know everything in the Bible you need to know? Did you know it's all essential knowledge? I don't mean you have to be a great Bible scholar, but you know what you ought to do? You ought to study the Bible. Matter of fact, if you don't, you're going to mess up. I met a guy, I'll tell you the story. I was going to a revival conference. I'd been invited to go to a revival conference in Moldova. Do you know where Moldova is? When I was asked on the phone, would you come for our revival conference, we're going to have the Baptist pastors and deacons come to our camp, and we're going to have a revival conference this summer, and someone said we should have you, and we're in Moldova. I'll be honest with you, in my mind, I thought Moldova was in Africa, Eastern Europe. It used to be called the Moldavian Soviet Socialist Republics. It was a part of the Soviet Union. Now it's liberated. It's called Moldova right next to Romania. Their language is Russian and Romanian. Why Russian? Because when the Soviet Union existed, they forced everybody in all the nations that were in the Soviet Union to learn Russian. So I was gonna go there and I was praying about it because you know what, you need money to take a trip and a few other details about this. So I was praying about it and a friend of mine was with me at this revival conference and they had a big prayer meeting. And hundreds of people were there. And God was leading us. We ended up praying for different parts of the world. South America. The Arab countries. We started praying for the lost souls around the world. And in that area we started praying. Then I heard a man with broken English. Said oh God. Would you reach down and touch the hearts. Of my people in Moldova. My mind goes. Did he say Moldova? When we take a break. I see my friend, Mike, who is with me. I said, Mike, did we hear somebody praying for Moldova? He said, I did. So I went to someone in charge of the conference, and I said, is there somebody here from Moldova? He said, you know, I think there is. Let me go ahead and check the registration. Here's the guy's story. Victor Kipper lived in Moldova. And you know what? He went to a wedding in Poland. You know, everything that happens in the world has to do with what God's doing in the world. And God liberated Eastern Europe, like Poland, from the communist domination. So now he goes up there to a wedding in Poland, in a church. And it is born again people doing it. He didn't know born again people. His country was atheist. He was brought up atheist. But he met Christians in Poland and they led him to Jesus Christ. With peace in his heart, he went back to Kishinev, the capital city, and he started preaching on the street. I've been on that street. <laughs> he was out there preaching, Jesus is the way. You need Jesus. You need to be saved from your sins. Well, he got challenged by people. If you preach on the streets, you'll get challenged by people, <laughs> including atheists, people who could argue with him. And he couldn't give any answers. And he finally said, you know what? I need to learn something about the Bible." And he prayed about it, and God informed him about people who were taking young Christians from around the world and sending them to America for a Bible education. And Victor was at that revival conference because he was in America at a Bible college. And uh, so, this these people said, we, "Here we're going to find here he is. We found his name." And uh, Yeah, he's here. Now, how will I go about finding him in among hundreds of people? Then my friend, Mike, he said, there he is. And that, like some conferences, we all had name tags. There was Victor Kipper, Moldova. I said, Victor, I want to meet you. I think I'm coming to your country this summer. He said, you are? I said, yes. A man named Eric Chapman has invited me to come to the revival conference, and Victor started crying. He said, I'm going to be over there interning as an evangelist, but I didn't know he believed in revival and that he interpreted for me when I was over there preaching. But you know what? One thing smart about Victor, he said, I need to know something before I start preaching. Now, I'm not trying to caution anybody away from spreading the gospel. You probably know enough to spread the gospel, but I am telling you this. You need to know your Bible. Matter of fact, for your own life. To know how to defend yourself from the devil. You need to go to a Bible preaching church. I remember arguments we used to have. Should a church be a soul winning church. Or a Bible teaching church. It used to be thought. You would either have a church. Where the pastor teaches you the Bible. Or you had a fired up church. That was out trying to win souls. Which should it be? Should it be a soul winning church. Or a Bible teaching church. The answer is yes. Can't have one without the other. If you have gotten saved. You need the Bible. I'm going to tell you, you might think you can't understand the Bible, but you can. Your pastor will help you understand the Bible. You've got somebody inside you right now that'll interpret the Bible for you. Yeah. So, our problem was going without knowing. And I'm going to tell you, your ignorance of the Bible, just because you don't read it, you know, the way to learn the Bible is read it every day, yeah. is going to trip you up someday, royal. Number two by going without glowing. Preachers are corny, aren't they? <laughs> but I'm gonna to prove to you that's a good word. He said, now wait a minute. You've got a big job to do. You're going to the whole world, to the uttermost part of the earth. But before you go, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, they were men who had read the Old Testament scriptures they knew that whenever the Holy Spirit came on someone, there was power. When the Holy Spirit came on Samson, he had supernatural physical strength. One time, he killed a thousand wicked men with the jawbone of an ass that he found on the ground. I've tried to picture that. <laughs> the jawbone of an ass that kills a thousand people, did they line up to be killed? I don't know how that happened, but he did amazing things. He picked up the city gates carried him off. Always some kind of power. The meekest man on the face of the earth became the greatest leader in the world, Moses, because the Holy Ghost was on him. A man who had grown up as a slave became a successful general, a military leader. His name was Joshua because the Holy Ghost came on him. See, David, the Holy Ghost came on him. And he became the sweet psalmist of Israel and the king. Even though he was the youngest one of a family and not considered anybody. The Holy Ghost means power. And we're going to get baptized, dunked, immersed in the Holy Ghost not many days from now. How shocking this is. Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon us. Now folks, all of us are post-Pentecost. Every saved person in the room has The Holy Ghost inside that's a part of getting saved when you accept Christ the Holy Spirit comes into your body and your body becomes a temple How many of you are saved? Okay, now what Holy Ghost is in you? Okay now The Bible says when the Holy Ghost comes in we're sealed with the Holy Ghost until the day of redemption That means he's in there. He can be grieved and quenched, but he ain't leaving He's there for the duration Okay, and that's a great thing about being a Christian now But listen to this. Ephesians 1 and 4 says the Holy Spirit has sealed every believer. Okay. But Ephesians 5 gives a command. Be filled with the Spirit. The object was to be endued with power from on high. To have the power to accomplish mission impossible. Okay. I have the Holy Spirit in me. That gives me potential. But I don't have the power until I'm filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit means I let him take control. Who wouldn't? (laughs) Think about this. What if you found out you had God inside? God was in there to give you all the help you need to obey the commands of Christ. To put power in your witness. To make you a success, not a failure. He's right in there. What would you do about that? Ignore him. Live like he's not there. Grieve him. By your attitudes and actions how dumb can you be i preached a sermon somewhere a couple of weeks ago that i called the oddest people in the world you know who the oddest people are in the world are people with god inside who live like he's not in there they are called carnal my rotten selfish sinful flesh and i prefer that over the holy ghost See, Holy Ghost, don't you know this is a Baptist church? You're not allowed to talk about the Holy Ghost in a Baptist church. Yeah. yeah, I know that we're not talking about the Holy Ghost. That's why we're so dead. But I'm not talking about false doctrine about the Holy Ghost, which is Pentecostalism. That's a system of false doctrine. But I'm talking about reality that our Baptist forefathers knew all about. You don't know about the Christian life until you know about the Holy Ghost. The woman was told, if you take a drink of the water I give you, it'll be a well inside you springing up into everlasting life. A couple of chapters later, it tells you that that well is the Holy Ghost to satisfy my every need. And then a couple of chapters later, it says this, that the fountain can overflow and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And out from me can come water that will meet the needs of people all around me. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Common people like you and me were filled with the Holy Ghost and their cup runneth over. And now other people are being helped. Well, better do that before you try to go. You know, some people do soul winning, not for very long, they'll quit. They'll say, I know I'm supposed to do this. The preacher's been all over my back about it. So I'm scared to death. But I'm going to do it anyway, even if I have to throw up, throw up after soul wedding. Here I go. Hello, I'm from Riverview Baptist Church. Do you want to get saved? You don't? Okay, goodbye. Can I tell you something? Your face has a lot to do with what, whether people will listen to you or not. And if you're scared absolutely to death, you would be amazed the kind of faces you make. you th- could I talk to you about your soul? No, thanks. But you know what? You've got somebody inside who will change every bit of that. Amen. remember a lady in Grass Lake, Michigan, where I was teaching, soul winning. the pastor asked me to, and we had a method of spreading the Word of God through the book of John. And we met in the afternoon to go out and do that in the little town of Grass Lake. So anyway, we prayed first. Then we went out. We had a little way we were going to present the Gospel of John for people to read and get a chance to witness to them, Okay. Now, later on, the pastor said, okay, now we're back. I'd like to hear some testimonies. Anybody like to give a testimony? Lady raised her hand and she said, I'd like to testify about what happened to me today. Now, I come out today to spread the book of John in the town of Grass Lake because I knew I should. Duty. Guilt. I heard Flanders preach about it. So I said, I better be there. All the way, I was scared to death. I had never done anything like this in my whole life. And I prayed all the way over here, Dear Lord, please let the pastor pair me up with somebody who knows what they're doing. Because <laughs> I don't. And pastor paired me up with so-and-so. We got in our car. When we got in the car, we were going to go to, like, Maple Street. And in the car, I looked at her and I said, Have you ever done this before? She said, Never in my whole life. Have you? I was hoping I'd be paired up with somebody who knew what they were doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So, of course, we prayed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. She testified this. She came up to a door, never done anything like this in her life. They got out of the car. They went up to the porch. It was agreed she would be the first one to talk. Rang the doorbell. And she said, she took a deep breath, rang the doorbell. And she said, all of a sudden, there on the porch, I got the most wonderful, unexplainable peace I can ever remember having. And in five minutes... I was talking to a perfect stranger about eternity. And you know what? You're not alone. That's why he's there. Don't go unless you glow. Don't, don't go again unless you glow. That sounds like alliteration or something, but I want to show you they actually glowed. Look at chapter two after Pentecost happened. Peter was up there explaining to the people in Jerusalem what had happened to these Galilean people when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and he was proving to everyone from Scripture and eyewitness testimony that Jesus had risen from the dead. He gave several proofs, Scripture that prophesied it, eyewitness report, and then here's another proof. Look at verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he, Jesus, has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Christians began speaking languages they had never learned. Everybody wondered, what on earth is this? How did this ever happen? And I understand the hear part. Here's what's happened to us. When he got to the right hand... He said it's the Holy Ghost, and that's why we're talking languages we don't know. But he didn't say, what you hear is explained by the fact that Jesus Christ has gone to heaven and sent the Holy Ghost. He said, see and hear. The people in Jerusalem could see something in the faces of those Christians that was proof that Jesus rose from the dead. glow. My daughter has married a preacher. I've got two daughters and a son. She's the middle one. She was not married for a lot of years. I'm going to go, and she won't mind me doing this. She was 42, not married, until it was finally agreed. She's marrying this preacher in the Bahamas. So if you hear my wife and I go to the Bahamas, don't criticize us. It's for family. (laughs) He's a preacher of a church in Nassau, and that's his Home. That's where he's from. She married him. But she lived in Nashville for a lot of years, was registered at the Bill Rice Ranch at Murfreesboro. Every Saturday, she went, went, went out made visits, got people to ride the Sunday school bus, visited her class, and witnessed. So she was in a neighborhood, I think like apartments, and she rang somebody's doorbell. An old man came to the door, said, yes. And she said, my name is Susanna Flanders. And I'm out making visits for the Nolansville Road Baptist Church down the road here. And I would like to give you something and invite you to come and visit our church. He said, well, thank you very much, but I won't be coming. I've never been to a church in my life because I'm a Jew. And I don't believe in Christianity. And so my daughter's pretty smart. Susanna said, oh, have you ever investigated the claims of Jesus Christ to be the Messiah of the Jews? No. So she brought up Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and Micah that said he would be born in Bethlehem, and Isaiah that said his mother would be a virgin. Hmm. So you ought to really give consideration of that. I'd be really thrilled if I was a Jew. It's God's chosen people. So he said, what time's church over there? She said, well, the time of the services is on the back. But I I thought you weren't coming to church. She said, I'm going to come tomorrow. And uh, so then she said this, what made you change your mind? And David said, something I saw in your face. That's what he actually said. Showed up the next day and came back the next Sunday. And the pastor talked to him. And then he started having Bible studies with the pastor about Christ. Then he got saved. He wanted to be baptized, but not right away. You know why? He wanted to arrange for himself to be baptized before his family. And family and friends from around the United States, Jewish people flew into Nashville to see David get baptized. (laughs) Big, And he sings in the choir. Then the next summer, I was at the Bill Rice Ranch on their big 4th of July celebration. And a guy came up to me, the hot dogs and all that were out there. They're going to fireworks. He comes up to me and he says, Are you Susanna's father? I said, yes, I am. Well, my name is David so-and-so. I want to tell you a story. And he told me the story from his side. That was the guy. And then I said to him, I said, don't take me wrong about this, but I'm being honest when I tell you. You know what you saw on her face on that day? I see it in your face right now. And I did. (laughs) He's inside you, friends. And you know what? We ought to yield to the Lord and let our face glow. Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians 4 tells you about how his face can shine in your face. It's right inside us. And you know what? I don't know how you can have God inside you and live like you don't. You know how you get filled with the Spirit? Trust him for the power to live the life. Step out of your comfort zone and do stuff you don't feel comfortable about doing, like witnessing. Boy, here it goes. Man, I can't do this. It's got to be you, God. Here we go. Ring the bell. Open your mouth and watch what happens. A Miracle. And surrender your life to God. And the issues between you and God, settle them on his side. You're right. I'm wrong. And yield and be filled with the Holy Ghost before you leave tonight. See, the problem with the Christians, generation after generation, is that they'll be going without glowing. Now look at verse 6 again here. I want you to notice this. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, after 40 days of a Bible conference on the kingdom of God and being told that they're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, whatever that is, they said, We've got a question. Here's what it is. Is this the time will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel Jesus had told them in the book of Luke that there's going to come a time when I'm going to rule the world and you will sit on 12 thrones ruling over Israel Is that why we're going to be baptized in the holy ghost is this the time you know what for 2000 years that's been the question Christians ask We all want to know the time It's the last times. I read something in the newspaper. You've heard all of this. I remember somebody saying, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan is the Antichrist. They must have been a Democrat. You know how they knew? Ronald, six letters. Wilson, six letters. Reagan, six letters, 666. He's the Antichrist. Saddam Hussein, he's the Antichrist. It's about to happen, man. It's about to happen. Yeah, he's going to rebuild Babylon, he says. Didn't happen. Did you know that Jesus Christ taught repeatedly that we will never know when he's coming? It's going to be a surprise. That's part of the plan. Did you know the second coming of Christ is not just a doctrine about the future, it's about the present? I turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son not wait for another sign, wait for His son, you have no clue when Jesus is gonna come again. You know, there was a song a long time ago, Jesus is coming soon. Incidentally, I never get asked to sing in church, so I'll sometimes ask myself, Jesus is coming soon. Do you know what? I have no idea if His coming soon. He might not be back for a couple hundred years. My job is not to know the time. My job is verse eight. He said, it's none of your business what the time is. That's God's business. But ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost is coming upon you and so on. He says, it's none of your business what the time is. So mind your own business. You know what your business is? The Holy Ghost evangelism in the world. That's what occupy till I come. So another problem is knowing. Oh, people will think they know more than you. I remember I was in a trailer on Lee Hill Road. You know where Lee Hill Road is? Boy, you guys don't know very much. I was in a trailer, and the lady said to me, do you know who the Antichrist is? I said, you know, I don't think I do. She said, I do. I'm writing a book. She had a spiral notebook. She said, in this book, I have proof who the Antichrist is. No, she didn't. There are people out there, it could be you, who's big on knowing. I know what you don't know. I know what Trump being elected means. You know, it says the last Trump. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Some of them are just that ridiculous. You know, so I know better than you. Did you know the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity love edifieth, buildeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. I know more than you, but charity love buildeth up. See, I can do some good if I'm dominated by love. That chapter says, if you think you know so much, you don't know anything like you need to know it. The right kind of knowledge will make you love people. See, knowing but not going. (laughs) Satisfied to sit here, using prophecy as an excuse not to evangelize. It's the latter days. People don't get saved like they used to. Lie. Lie. You know what our job is? Going. Be witnesses unto me. And we need to know something, but we don't need to be focused on what we know. We need to be focused on going. Okay. Then the last of it. Ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. So the last way that we mess up is this, and that is glowing but not going. Every saved person has the Holy Ghost. And uh, we have the Holy Ghost to put power in our witness. Tarry in Jerusalem to be, in, you be endued with power from on high. You have it. You say, I don't do that. That is witnessing. I'm kind of a shy person. You ought to do it. Well, I can't do it. Yes, you can I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and anything God wants you to do, the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do it. Did you know that? If he says it, I can do it. Glowing, but not knowing. So he goes up into heaven. there, standing on the Mount of Olives, and there he goes. <whistles> Disappears in the clouds. They're standing there. And two angels say, Why stand you here gazing up into heaven? That same Jesus is going to come back to this same piece of property when he sets up his kingdom. Okay, now watch. You know what they were doing? Standing there, gazing. Did you know that's where monasteries came from? Did you know God will give us mountaintop experiences? where God is so real? Sometimes happens when we fast and pray. But there is such a thing as a mountaintop experience like they had on the Mount of Transfiguration where they saw something they had never seen before and they liked it so much they said, can we build tents up here? You're up on the mountain, God is so real you think you're in heaven and you wanna stay there. Just like good Christians like you In the early centuries of christianity that just said you know i like the feeling of god nearby and the world disturbs that so i'm not leaving the monastery i'm going to stay here read my bible pray and commune with god all the time day and night that's not the plan the plan is to glow so that you can go and you know what Sometimes in revivals, people enjoy the presence of God in such a wonderful way that they want to go back to another prayer meeting. I believe in prayer meetings. They want to go back to the meetings in here Flanders. They love the feeling over there at Riverview. Well, I'm going to tell you something. What you get in here is so you can go out there. Up there on the mountaintop, they saw things that built up their faith. Came down from the mountain, there was a family with a terrible problem. Their son was afflicted with a devil. You remember that story? And they came down to meet that need. Every mountaintop experience I've ever had, or you've ever had, was to make you ready to help somebody. Glow to go. Don't just stand there gazing. (laughs) The face of Jesus is beautiful, but he doesn't want you to just stand there and gaze. I come to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. I hope you get that experience. Okay. I'd stay in the garden with him. Though the night around me be falling, but he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling prayer closet, mountaintop, me and God, the Holy Ghost, so that we can help somebody. The people across the street who fight, way into the night, throw beer bottles at each other, the poor man living outside, homeless man, people that you want to avoid are the ones people sent you to your neighborhood to reach. See, that's how we messed up, glowing without going. I sure love the church. I hope you do. But you know what? What we get in here is fuel for out there. So we messed up. The whole plan was so that everybody here could hear that God loves them and God made a way for every problem in their life to be solved. And that way is called Jesus. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're a Christian, here's what I would do if I were you. I would pray. And in my prayer, I'd start up by thanking Jesus for dying for my sins. Thank you, Jesus for dying for my sins. Have you ever done that? Thank him for dying for your sins. And say, I am a sinner, one of those that you died for. But I believe you rose from the dead and that you can save my soul. Tell him you believe that God raised him from the dead. Then ask him to save you. You have good grounds on which to ask for that. Three times in the Bible, there's a promise given to us in almost exactly the same words. Joel, Acts, Romans, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, that's you, call upon the name of the Lord, that's what he tells you to do, shall be saved. So put it into words and say, Jesus Christ, save me from my sins. I now accept you as my Savior. And I'm going to tell you, friends, the faith expressed by that prayer will make you a Christian. You pass from death unto life. And the whole program I've talked about tonight is for you. The reason God speaks to us and says, you failed, you messed up, and shows us how we failed was so that we could get to you and tell you this beautiful story. And so I'm going to say, Why don't you pray tonight before you leave and ask Jesus to save you? Why don't you do that?
0: Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time